actually like deleted something. And I'm like, oh wait, maybe I shouldn't have deleted that. <laughs> one time <laughs> someone wrote. Someone time someone wrote Hashem's name on the white on one of the whiteboards in the men's program. Oh, Mawa. And we, yeah, so we didn't know what to. We asked. Uh, we wait, asked how did they write Hashem's name? Some, they wrote Yud and then Hey and then Vav and then Hey. Oh, okay. Without on the board, dashes. without dashes. So we we asked. Uh, we said leave it on the board. And um, you can't tell the non-Jewish janitor to clean it off. But if they do, then that's... And so we left it there, and it was there for like three weeks, and then at one point it was gone. So we just assumed the non-Jewish janitor got to cleaning the whiteboard. (laughs) I'll just stay there forever. Okay. It would never get taken. (laughs) not cleaning the board. Yes. There is a there is a there is a rule there is a rule about rebuke, which is you are not supposed to rebuke somebody if you, in after honest estimation, you believe that they will not listen to you, barring very certain exceptions. The exceptions are if they are at present, at that very moment, doing a sin, which is not only biblical, but explicit in the written Torah. So, for instance, if you see somebody bowing down to an idol, even though you don't think they're going to stop, you should still say, that's forbidden, don't do that, as a way of lodging protest. But anything that is not that a flagrant violation of halacha, you have to make a judgment call as to whether you actually think you'll be persuasive or not. And if you're not going to be persuasive, then you should avoid rebuking people because you make their sin more heinous once you rebuke them and they ignore the rebuke. What's the deal with cards? What? What's the cards? That gave us a card that Do you that? want to be the most righteous woman in, in the entire generation? Always. Do you think that comes from a place of healthy and whole, a healthy psyche and a holy spirit? No, but what else does it say? I'm just curious. To be the um, wisest woman of the generation? They can only be one, so while they're handing out. Right, that's what it is. Wait, yeah. is it all just rhetorical questions, or is it to give like a strategy? No, no, it's, it's, it's just you're supposed, you're supposed to just say in Hebrew that God should grant you the merit of being the most righteous woman and the most wisest woman of the generation, and to be a bride speedily. Amen. Yeah, he did <laughs> give that, he gave us that bracha. <laughs> so, you know. To rebuke someone when they're not going to listen? That's the only exception. Otherwise, rebuke has to be educational, which means if, you're, if rebuking is going to lead to a change of behavior, then you're required to rebuke. But if it won't, then you're forbidden from rebuking. What if you don't see someone bowing down idols like you see them illustrating to others how to bow down to idols? So, then we have to have a topic another time to know exactly what this person is. This man, he, it just made me like the way he was speaking as if it's like a cult. Like He probably is like a little woo-hoo. <laughs> That's <laughs> the like, technical you're, you're definition. Be All it says is about... <sighs> okay. What else does it say? It's pink also. <laughs> That's because for females. Maybe they had blue ones for males. Oh. So, well, wouldn't that make sense <laughs> that the wisest <laughs> man and then the wisest woman of the generation should then marry? <laughs> Because What's up with all the I don't know. Okay. <coughs> Yesterday we learned about the level of our soul no, called nefesh. No, thank you. I like the red picture. Yes. We learned about the level of our soul called nefesh. Okay. And nefesh, 
is all focused on what? Behavior. Behavior. Specifically connecting or, 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 really, feeling connected to Hashem through our behavior. The lowest manifestation of the nefesh is the inhibition that we would feel to do something wrong. Okay, so fear of sin, fear of, you know, things like that. And the loftiest manifestation would be when our whole psyche are, is, is, is geared and focused towards knowing and feeling as much as we can to make every mitzvah as meaningful as an experience as possible. Okay? If, and it's on that level when you're dealing with your nefesh, you also struggle with the possibility of not doing the right behaviors, of misbehaving, which is known in religious terms as sinning. Okay, so if you want to know which level of your godly soul is susceptible to the influences of the animal soul, what would the name of that level be? Nefesh. In other words, if, you're, if you are experiencing the level of nefesh and only the level of nefesh, you are going to be susceptible to the influences of your animal soul. That's what we learned yesterday. Then there's a higher level. What's the second high, second level? What was that called? And remember? Ruach. Okay. Now we're going to learn about Ruach. Okay. Would you like to hear a disturbing story? Always. Okay. <laughs> not <laughs> disturbing. No, not that kind of disturbing story. Um, so, um, some Bachram in the yeshiva were telling me they weren't actually telling me, they were telling each other, and I was there overhearing. Um, I just want to point out that the yeshiva has an 18-year-old program. This is not the regular program. <laughs> just point out the follow-up voices about a sailing trip that some of them took. Um, and they, they, were, they uh, went, were, went on a sailboat, and they were on a sailboat for like a week. And then they landed at an island, which has a large seagull population, like millions of seagulls. So it was part of some like school activity kind of thing. And they had very limited amount of food and tents are supposed to camp out on this island, you know, somewhere in the ocean with all these seagulls for a week. <laughs> Which I don't know what educator thought that was a good idea to, to send a bunch of 16 year old boys on an island for a week with, with limited food and a bunch of seagulls. But <laughs> let's just say they developed a habit of killing seagulls. Yeah. To eat them. Yeah. No. <laughs> No. Well, as one of them put it, after you have barely eaten for a few days and you can't sleep because the seagulls make a ton of noise and they go inside your tent so you can't sleep, you start to develop very intense feelings against the seagulls. And he, they, they proceeded to develop a game of kicking little seagulls off the cliffs into the seals and the seals would eat them. It's quite disturbing, right? I, I warned you ahead of time, it's really disturbing. So I'm thinking as I'm hearing this story, why is this happening to me? Like, why did God put me here to hear this story? <laughs> why do I need to know this? Wow. It's not that I always think that, but sometimes you just think things about like, God created the entire heavens and earth. He runs everything, yet he felt that I needed to be there at that moment to hear that story. And sometimes God answers your prayers. I mean, he always answers your prayers. Sometimes the answer is yes, and it's right away. He explains things to you. So, because then one of the Bachram was, said one sentence, which all of a sudden um, made everything click as to a possible reason why I heard this story. 
Okay, now, before I tell you what he said and why it relates to this class, um, I'm going to ask you, do you think that, and I, I, by the way, I left out a lot of the more specific details, just a general overview of what happened. Thank, thank you. Yes. Um, do you think that that, you know, that event, that story, um, describes positive behavior? No. no. I mean, I'm not saying the guy is a lowlife or anything, but like, you know, 16-year-old boys left on an island by themselves for a week is not a smart idea. But it's not exactly the most positive behavior in the world, to put it mildly. Okay. Now, why do you think he was telling the story? Before I tell you what he said. To the other dog? Yeah. We were having a confession. <laughs> <laughs> he was contritely confessing his tendency to animal cruelty in his youth. Not that he's that old now, right? You're, you can't even say that with a straight face. It's not what he was doing. I mean, when have you, have you, imagine, like, you're like, maybe it's a confessional. It's not a confessional. When have you ever heard a bunch of 18-year-old boys sitting around talking about, like, you know, knocking seagulls off a cliff because they felt bad about it? Maybe there were birds that were annoying him that brought that up in his what? head. I left out details. Okay. Do you want me to fill in the details? Oh. <laughs> okay. Why do you think he was saying this? There were babies in the car. I wanted to see macho or something? I wanted to see macho, right? Showing off, bragging, boasting, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's more plausible. Okay. Then he said, okay. Then he moved on to another story. The other story was when they were at camp and um, they had to like, move some stuff and so he was riding in the back of a truck that was going 70 miles an hour down a dirt road, hanging on for dear life and almost got thrown out. And then he said the following line, that was the best experience of my life. Now I'm thinking to myself, why is almost getting thrown out of a truck the best experience of your life? Why is that? A thrill. He was 16 and now he's 18. <laughs> he's not putting his life in perspective. What? Thrill and adrenaline. There's a thrill. There's a rush, right? Like, it, all, and all of a sudden, I do like, and all of a sudden, I put everything back. Go back and, and that whole story about things and like erase everything he did. Just like cut that out. Right? Imagine it's like it's like a. Um, like you have, a, you have a, 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 like a comic book and you have like all the black lines around the different shapes. Just erase all the lines. Erase, just, just look at the, the emotional energy. How, what was he describing? Very intense, powerful feelings. Right? He had very intense experiences. And what makes the best moments of his life because if you were to ask him, you say, like, objectively speaking, what, would you say that the behaviors that are the most impressive about you is knocking seagulls into the ocean to be eaten by seals? He's not, I mean, he's 18, but he's not, like, that crazy. No, that is not the most impressive thing that he's ever done. 
would you say like the most important event that has ever happened in your life is almost getting thrown out of the back of a truck going down 70 miles on a dirt road? No. But if you stop looking at the physical events and talk about the subjective experience and its emotional intensity, that's a very different thing, right? So one way you can say that these bragging and boasting to be macho, which is how initially I took it, but then there's another thing, which is maybe he's actually doing something else. As he thinks back on his 18 years of life, when did he feel most vibrant and vigorous? What, 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 what point were his emotions the most intense and in a way that gives him a positive sense of them when he looks back on them during those events? Now, does that... This means you have to kind of strip away thinking about things in terms of behavior, okay? And it was this like insight that struck my mind as I was reading the class that I have to give today. Because the difference between Ruach and Nafesh is the shift from thinking about things in terms of and centered around behavior, whereas behavior drops off and becomes on the periphery. It's not really the issue. In other words, if, if you tell a story about an event as a physical behavior, as what he's done, you know, throwing seagulls into the ocean, or almost getting thrown out of a truck. It's, a, it, 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 it's disturbing. But if you can erase that, yeah? Just erase what the behavior is, but ignore what the behavior is. He did something when he was 16, and he had a very powerful and intense emotional experiences. And he had a lot of, there was a lot, big rush, and there was a lot of intensity, he felt alive, and he felt this. And you have zero knowledge of what the behavioral context for that was. That's a very different way of thinking about it. Now, That's rough. Right. Now, I want to point something out. We all understand, though, that if your behavior isn't as it should be, that can be very dangerous. Right? Think about it, right? Here you have an example of a person who's like very positively attached to something because of the intensity of the emotional experience, but the actual behavior is either the first story abhorrent or the second story very dangerous. So what happens if your behavior is being governed by your desire for intense, intense emotional experience? Are you going to make proper behaviors? No. That's what college is. For, for a long oh, well, not on the <laughs> No, but... Sorry. Okay. So what I want to do is I want to do is I want to separate out the intense emotional experience as a separate dimension, as, 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 as a distinct thing from behavior. And that means, for right now, we're going to ignore what the behavior caused it. Could it have been a, a good behavior? It could have been a good behavior. It could have been a bad behavior. It's irrelevant. The focus is the intensity of the emotional experience. Now, when you have an intense emotional experience, do you feel more connected with others or less connected with others than if your emotional experiences are less intense? Okay, what does it depend on? It was a good emotional intensive experience. Mm. Exactly, right? And let's, let's flip this. Oh, so this is what I want to get. Let's put this. If you have a positive emotional experience involving another person, then you feel more connected than a more less intense emotional experience. Does that make sense? Okay. That's why people who have intense emotional experiences can feel very bonded, even though the behaviors are like completely irrelevant. Okay. You can also have the reverse. What if you have a very negative emotional, a very intense negative emotional response towards something or someone? Does that create a feelings of connection? 
Well, it does if you create a triangle. For instance, okay? You've ever heard the expression, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Right. So if I really, really dislike, let's say, I'm going to use politics for example, Republicans, what can that cause me to feel very intense? Not necessarily, but can cause very intense desire to get very involved in democratic politics and vice versa. Okay, this is a principle that many people know is that if you really want to get people to vote for your team, you just get them to feel very angry about the opposing team, right? So it works both ways, but it's very different. So an intense, positive emotion is binding directly, right? But an intense, negative experience is binding if you kind of rebound it off well, someone else. Also, if you're two people are in a supportive experience together, they will also be Right, right. So if two people are, sh- are, are sharing negative, ex- intense negative experience towards a third thing, then that also can bring them together. So what I want to point out is that the intensity of the emotional experience in and of itself has this binding quality. But how does it bind you in the negative sense? To so there's two, there's two ways. One is that if I hate something, that can cause me to then feel very positively and connected to something else. The other thing is if we both hate something together, that can cause us to actually feel bonded. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Now, what I want to point out here is notice that... that, that it's the intensity of the emotional experience itself that is creating these feelings, the sense of connection. We're not talking about the, the emotion be, as a motivation to a behavior, and then the behavior is what creates the connection, what we talked about yesterday. Okay. So it's fully emotional. It's fully emotional. Right? The, in other words, where is the, right, so whereas yesterday, where is the place where the, where the sense of being connected comes about? is in the behavior, right? And not just, and again, it's not the behavior in isolation, it's the behavior, what motivated the behavior, why doing the behavior, but it all comes to fruition through the behavior. Here we're talking about a totally different dynamic where it's in the emotion and the element of the emotion that creates the connection is its intensity. Or at least that's one of its elements. So in this case, if you wanna feel more connected, what are you going to look for? Intense. More intense emotion, experiences, right? Which might cause you to do behaviors which on the face of it seem a little ludicrous, right? Because now it's not the behavior is the goal, proper behavior creating connection. Now the behavior is becoming a means to elicit an intense emotional experience, okay? Has anyone ever heard of, um, has anyone ever heard of, um, what's it called? Okay, before I get to that, okay, so going back. So that's what I realized with, the, with this buffer is that where is he really coming from? He's not like a, he's a decent kid. I mean, he's not like some guy who's like mean and nasty. Where is he coming from? He felt very connected to the people he went through those experiences with. He's trying to connect to these other people he's sitting around with. And so what is he doing? By tapping into bringing out intense experiences. And intense experiences to which he has a positive sense of the, the, that, that, that emotion. Now, is the behavior, right? Now, so let's move on over the forward. Does that mean that now looking forward is he wants the behavior of I want to, I want to go do those behaviors? No, but would he want to have similar kinds of experiences in terms of the, the emotional intensity level? Yeah. And that ability, which I think takes a, a lot of maturity, not a little, a lot of maturity to, to split apart the emotional plane as an independent plane versus the emotional plane and tying it down to the behavior 
that's a very important distinction to make in order, first off in life, because a lot of times we can have better understand people in a more positive sense if we, if we strip away the behavior level and just look at the kind of raw emotional layer. But also in understanding here that there's a connection to Hashem that is in no way ab- about bringing to doing more mitzvahs. It's about the contrary. How does everything create a more intense emotional experience, a more intense um, um, sense of love of God or hatred of evil or blah, 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 those kinds of things. Okay. And so, just to finish the thought, so I was thinking, you know, this is like a very vivid and challenging way to illustrate this point, is you have that clear contrast. Thing. So I thought maybe that's why Hashem put me in proximity to overhear this rather disturbing story. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what popped right through my mind, so that's how I started the class. Okay, I want to just give one other example that you ask questions. Has anyone heard of something, and I think it's called escape rooms, but I'm not sure. I was about to say, people escape who do room. dates in escape rooms. Right, so what's the point of that? Yeah, they're really fun. Right, so, so I, we can all acknowledge that, that in this case, right, it is, the, the, in this case, is that, the, that it's not that the behavior is the binding thing and so it's to figure out how to bring your emotions and your knowledge into doing the right behaviors that connect to another person, like buying the appropriate gifts, doing things that they you know, enjoy, helping them out. It's not like that. It's rather you're artificially contriving some kind of a behavior that brings about more intense emotions than you would otherwise feel. And then it's the intensity of those emotions together that's hopefully, if everything goes right, is supposed to make you feel closer. Right? There is that element. Okay? Um, has the potential to do the exact opposite. It has the potential the exact opposite. That is right. In other words, in other words, if we took that, this level called Ruach, where it's all about the intensity, and we just left it on its own, it would be very, very dangerous. Okay? But you notice that we spoke about before, these are in a hierarchy. So when it comes to your godly soul, anyway, your ability to access your Ruach is dependent upon the Nefesh, which means, does God give a person access to this kind of connection to Hashem with this, the, this dimension of their own soul if they are still struggling to behave properly with Hashem. No. And that's, you know, now it would kind of be nice if that also happened in like our relationships with other people, but it doesn't work that way, right? We can, right? And that's why people do all sorts of stupid things to have very intense experiences and encounters and things with other people and that, that, are, that are really unsustainable and, 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 and destructive because the behaviors they're doing they create intense experiences, but they don't have that, con- the behaviors themselves aren't connective. And so what's, what we're saying here is that first the person has to develop the part of their soul which connects to Hashem through the behavior. And then if they've achieved that, then they're granted, and I'm using the word granted as if it's a gift because it somewhat is, the ability to develop relationships with Hashem that is, tri- that is not about what they do, but is in the intensity of the experience. Yes. Um, what? Like, I'm saying not the two people are together, but like, it's fun to Because that affects self as a form of sharing. Because every time we, we speak, we are re- when we remember when we're reliving, when we speak to someone else, we're causing them to, to vicariously live. And as if I describe an event to you in your mind, what you're doing is you're creating a memory of it, even though you weren't there. So, so mm-hmm. anytime you communicate with someone, you're creating a shared experience. Okay. Yeah. Just since you brought it up, do you think it's a bad idea to do a date in an escape 
I'm not personally... I think that it's a bad idea for me to give dating advice in this class. That's what I think. So, I, mm, so I'm not asking as like a pragmatic advice piece. I'm saying like on a philosophical level when it comes to like intense emotion and ruach, like is it is it a bad idea to be looking for that? Like, I will tell you. I will tell you like this. I will tell you like this. Anything before you figure if it's a good idea or a bad idea, you have to figure out what the objective is. So I will answer you by saying this. The objective of dating is to make an informed decision, taking into account all parts of a person, everything from personality quirks, values, etc., and decide, is this a person you could build a healthy family with? That's the goal of dating. It's not, that's it. Now, based on that, I will, that's all I'm gonna say. What, okay, so what if it's like in the first year of marriage, I'm definitely not giving first year of marriage advice here. I get what you're saying, and I think I think I think there are parameters for what I should say and what I should try to say. Yes. I'm not saying the question is about. I'm not answering. Okay. Yes. Right. I like how you put that as opposed to my delusions, but okay. <laughs> did, you, did you find that it's in fact bonded or yeah. heard the, the bonding? What, between them and the other boys? Yeah. No, it, 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 it did not infer in, in because, the, because the behavioral thing was, was, I guess, I don't know what the way the way you put it is. They, they, they all have the same, were able to have the same kind of like disassociating from like the, the, the abhorrence of the behavior or how dangerous. Now, whether that has to do with being, you know, immature 18 year old men or it has to do with their particular views on animals, you know, we can speculate. But it, yeah. I'm sure that if one of them was, you know, had a deep, deep, deep sentiments towards animals, then that would have created, the, you know, a, a wedge between them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Right. Which is, by the way, very important because if we, if we put this back, what if a person has a deep sense of, of being connected to God while going, so you, I'll give you a real life example. A person has a very, a Jewish person has a very deep sense of being connected to God while going to Catholic Mass. It's not like a theoretical, this really does happen. Now, how do we view that? So in as much as there's connecting to God is through behavior, right? That would be like kind of analogous to someone trying to share their deep, intense emotional experiences through that they experience in a particular behavior that the other person has, has very negative feelings towards that behavior. So what's that going to do? Bring them closer or drive a wedge between them? Okay. On the other hand, if a person has the ability to detach and only look at the emotional experience on its own, then they could also see that in some kind of a positive light, right? But they wouldn't necessarily want it to stay that way, right? So if you had like a very, very mature person, okay, so let's, let's flesh this out for a second. Let's say you had a very mature person who had a deep sentiments towards um, animal welfare, and they had a child who did something like that and was sharing it because they wanted their parent to like really connect and they wanted to sense. So if that parent is very mature, could that parent kind of exist simultaneously in two states? 
that on the one hand, on some level, this is a wedge between us, and therefore this is not an okay thing and needs to be corrected. And on the other hand, if I just talk, just relate to the emotional experiences, my child is sharing with me intense experiences of emotion. I should be able to like appreciate that and connect to that. But that, that state, although the, the, the parent has the maturity to appreciate both of them, that you can't like keep, that you can't build on that. Like something has to change because if they keep, eventually those two things, you know, it, it, it creates these two things that are in tension with each other. And so when it comes to Hashem, we would say the same thing. That in terms of actually building, emphasis on the word building, like building of a building, a relationship with Hashem, the Ruach levels off out of bounds until the Nefesh level is sufficiently taken care of. Because that doesn't allow for constructive growth. That doesn't mean that if a person has intense emotional experiences, Hashem is going to just say, well, well, that's worthless. It has the maturity to process both. But that you can't build on. Yeah. What? So the way to think of it, the way to think of it is, where is the point of what? What ultimately makes this greater sense of being connected? Is the greater sense of being connected how the behaviors are the right behaviors? Now, behaviors being the right behaviors has all these levels. You're doing the right thing for the right reasons in the right way. You're not doing the wrong things, and you're not doing the right things also for the right reasons and in the right way. But the, the, and, but if you, and so if you want, in that sense, if you want to strengthen the connection, it has to come down to doing better, doing the right things better, not doing the wrong things better. This is entirely different. This is not, in other words, let me, let me, let me put it in perspective of Judaism, right? If you want to feel more connected, should you keep a higher standard of kosher? What would the nefesh say? The nefesh would say yes. What would the ruach say? The ruach would say, well, how does keeping a higher standard of kosher make you more connected, right? In order to, you know, the, the Ruach would say, if you want to feel, be more connected, you have to have a greater disgust for non-kosher food. A greater abhorrence to the non-kosher food. But they're distinct because, because when you're trying to build your relationship, where are you, where, what makes them distinct is not that one is one thing, one is the other, but it's what is serving as means and what is serving as ends. The nefesh is saying, we need to feel more disgusted about eating non-kosher so that we eat more kosher food. And in eating more kosher food and doing it in a higher level, then we'll be more connected. So I, I understand how like, the ruach is on its own. I understand how nefesh could be nefesh without the ruach. No, so the thing you understand is that all three of them contain knowledge, feeling, and behavior. The question is, where does the focus of trying to build the connection in Nefesh, you're trying to build a connection by having better behaviors coming from better motivations. In Ruach, you're trying to have as an intense emotional experience in relation to God as possible. Do behaviors influence that? They sure do. But the behavior is the means to the intense emotional experience. So, for instance, there's a practice that, that some people used to take, which is called self-imposed exile. It's not still done anymore, but so you have a... Uh, uh, a person, usually married, he gets permission from his wife, and he leaves town, and he wanders around Eastern Europe for two or three years, with no money. Which wife gives permission for that? Different era. That was not a sign of marital problems. No. 
Why would somebody do that? What, are, do you think you're gonna like be able to do mitzvahs better when you're like traveling on the road and, and penniless and nobody knows who you are? Like you're gonna have an easier time finding a minion, you're gonna have an easier time keeping kosher, like, like that's what's gonna happen? So why would somebody do that? Why would somebody put themselves through that? Well, if you're out on your own and you're alone, what's going to happen to your experiences of relationship with God? They're going to become more intense. They're going to become. They're going to become more. They're going to become more compelling. They're going to become more immediate. They're going to become more visceral. Okay. So. It's selfish. I don't want to talk about selfish right now because like. So there's an entirely different mode of trying to connect to Hashem where you're really, you've gone beyond the idea of what we normally think of being, you know, more religious and more moral and more pious. It's not about that. It's having this deep, deep intensity. And what I want to point out here, and this is actually one reason I wanted to use the story, is this is where, it's on this level of Ruach, people really start to to diverge from each other. Because at the end of the day, what's the right way for a person to behave? Although there's variations, generally speaking, it's pretty much the same for everybody. Don't steal, be honest, keep kosher, keep Shabbos, etc. Right? There's a normal way to behave. But when you start moving into those inner things of intense experiences, one person becomes very, very different. One person becomes to the point, and this is what I want to, to the point that people that can get along when they're holding on this level of nefesh can find it very hard to get along when they're holding on the level of ruach that they really can't understand each other anymore. Because the, the, there's, so, the, the, there's so much, it's so personal, it's so intense, and, and one person's sense of it, it doesn't align at all with another person's sense of it. Or even how they relate to God. So you have two people, right? And this is, explains a lot, of, a lot of things of why, why people as they grow in spirituality can often diverge, they can come apart. You have two people who when it comes to how to behave, and how to connect to God through our behavior. They are all in agreement. They're growing and they're working. There's slight variations here and there. And then as they grow and try and develop these deeper and deeper intense emotional experiences and start to reorient their lives towards developing these more intense senses of God, they no longer are able to appreciate where the other one's coming from. They're able to empathize with those things. It's so different. It's, it could even be diametrically opposed. Okay? Um, you know what happened in the desert? Every time the Jewish people camped, they fought with each other. Do you know that? Every time they fought, they, they had vicious fights with each other. Except one time when they came to Harsina. Do you know why they fought? Because if you have people with, with very intense emotional experiences and they're not all the same and you stick them all in a room together, what's going to happen? Especially if they care about each other and they try and share with each other. This one's going to be hurt, this one's going to be offended, this one's going to get... Like, like, it, it, it's, it's actually very tumultuous. Uh, I'll just tell you that the way the Talmud puts it is that this is one reason why everybody in heaven has to have their own little section. Because not everybody's able to appreciate it. Like if I go to your heaven, it might not be so pleasant for me. I might not be able to relate. But you've stripped everything down in heaven. You go to a deeper part. So maybe dragon farms are the ones who are also like Right, so the safeguard that Hashem puts in this is that to actually build in a constructive way the Ruach, He doesn't allow you to do until you've sufficiently built up the level of Nefesh. 
Right. But remember, we also have an animal soul. In the animal soul, everything is open. You know, but, but if a person is trying to build those intentional emotional experiences, they're with, with, coming from the godly soul, God is not going to allow them to develop the intense emotional experiences that come from the godly soul without first having this in place. Which means even two people who are diametrically opposed, there still be kind of the bounds. Even though they might have a vicious fights, but they're still within the framework of what Allah allows. There's still like a larger context allow them to navigate it. Yeah. That's just one example, by the way. Yeah. Is that long term, or or what's the point of even doing it? It's not because then comes when this guy comes home, he's like he's in an ice bath, and then he loses what he had. So how is it like? Is there even a point in oh. doing that? So just like we spoke about yesterday, how maintaining a stable relationship is yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a huge thing. Let's just give you an example. The Baal Shem Tov, heard of the Baal Shem Tov? So at, the Baal Shem Tov um, used to go out in the mountains by himself, and he only came home for Shabbos. That, for the first 20, for the first, until he was 20, until he was 36. For 36 years? Yeah. Well, yeah. From the time he was married until he was 36, he, he was out in the mountains by himself. Now, the I was just giving them the, the Arizal. The Arizal was in a, spent basically every day, uh, spent the whole week in a cave, until, except shops, he would come home. Now, I want to be very clear. Is, am I saying this is things that people should do? No. Uh, what I want you to, to illustrate is the hierarchical relationship nature of this. If you can't live in a stable relationship with God, and by the way, God also involves other people, according to what, you, you can't manage on that level, then, then this, these, uh, this other level, it, it's not appropriate. And if you do, you know, get it, get, if it starts to feature in your life, it can be actually quite destructive. It can lead a person to do crazy things. Crazy things that are not crazy just because other people don't appreciate them. Crazy because they actually destroy the relationships they already have. Relationship with God, relationship with other people. Okay. Um, so I like to tell you a story about Ruach. Yeah. Ruach. Okay. So, there was a man named Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Radishev. Have you heard of Rabbi Yitzchak of Radishev? Okay. So he got married. Now, in those days, the way it worked was that if you were a big Torah scholar, rich people wanted you to marry their daughters. That's the way it worked back then. It was considered to be like an investment because Torah scholars got a lot of prestige. So if you were a Torah scholar as a son-in-law, then it's like very prestigious. And then the expectation was that the father-in-law would support the son-in-law, basically, for the rest of his life. Or for an extended period of time, depending on the circumstances. So he married the daughter of a very rich man, and he went off with his wife's permission to go to Mezrich, where the, the Maggid of Mezrich, the success of the Baal Shem Tov was, and he went to go learn about God. And his father-in-law was very pleased, because David Yitzchak was a big scholar, he was up and coming in the, you know, the ranks of being one of the big rabbis of the generation. And he comes back home, and he's turned into a lunatic. Now, have you ever been to a shul? Okay. Can you imagine somebody in the shul walks into the shul, like, he sits down, it's like this. Then he stands up, walks around, then sits down, and stands up. 
walks around, sits down, walks up. Finally, he puts on his talus, he puts on his one, opens up the sitter, he starts davening. And all of a sudden, he starts crying. Like, like, like he just found out, like, like he just lost all of his money, or God forbid someone died. And then in the middle of his tears, his face brightens, and he starts smiling, and he starts clapping. like, just, And then he jumps on the table, and then he starts dancing, and then he goes back to thinking... If you saw some of that in Shul day in day out, what would you conclude about such a person? Yeah. <laughs> a little nuts, right? Like, that's not, like... So his father-in-law saw this again and again and again, and his father-in-law decided that's enough. And he told his daughter, I want, to, I, want your, uh, I want you to ask your husband for a divorce. This is not what I had in mind. She knew who her husband was. She was not interested in getting divorced. Um, and this became a really huge problem. Um, and he was very, very upset because, like, I invested in this, you know, person who behaves properly, knows what he's doing, has a sense of love of God and fear of God in the normal, everyday sense. And here's a person who's, like, you know, I mean, he's not breaking halacha, but he's, he's like, off the charts. Okay. That kind of a person... How do they feel? Right, let's assume they're not crazy for a second. How do they, what was happening when he was praying? Let's think about this, just get into his head. What was, he, what was happening when he was praying? Why did he start crying? Why did his face start beaming? What was happening? Let's assume that he's not crazy for a second, because he, was, he wasn't crazy. What was actually going on inside his psyche? What was he feeling? Emotions of Okay, but let's think about it. Why would someone in the middle of prayer all of a sudden start crying? Like that, with that intensity. What did he now feel all of a sudden? That he sinned? That God was angry with him? Like, that's ridiculous. Like, that's not what happens. What was he feeling? What would drive him to tears? Um, what? Um, what about God? Yeah. He's, right? what, if he, what if he felt, what if he felt very close to God? He starts praying. He starts to appreciate how really transcendent God is. He starts to sense how, how infinitely far God is from him. And now it all of a sudden feels like he lost the person he loved the most. So he breaks down crying. And then all of a sudden he feels that God's infinite transcendence means that God has no barriers to reach him. So it's not that God is actually far from him. It's the opposite. God is closer than he ever knew. So he becomes elated. I can say this in class and I can think about it. But to feel that so intensely that you literally burst into tears and then jump for joy back and forth and back and forth on a daily basis... There's a level of emotional intensity that most people can't handle. Right? And what the altar is saying is, there's people whose souls are basically level of nefesh, and they stay with the level of nefesh, and that's basically where they live their whole lives. And there's other people, they, nefesh is like an easy deal for them. What happens? Their main life is leveled on level ruch. Now, we can say on some of everybody has a little bit of everything. But there's a hierarchy here. And if you mess with that hierarchy, it's very destructive. There's an intensity to everything that's religion. Yes, it is, it is, and so the truth of the matter is everybody, every individual has all three levels, but not everyone has the same range. So some people have very small nefesh, they maximize it out, and then they have a very small ruach. Some people have a very big, like, it can be, it can, it can, it varies from individual, but there's always some level of hierarchy. So something like Erev Yitzchak Berdichev, like the nefesh was like a done deal, like maximizing that was like the most natural thing in the world, but then ruach was this infinite 
level of growth. Okay. And some people, you know, the nefesh is where most of the complexity lies, and there's very little bit of ruach that sometimes they peek into and drop back out of again. But like once they like, they, even if they have a good, a lot of nefesh, right? And they just, but they, they grow and they like, they maximize it out. Yeah. Like then they would want to go to more. Yeah, and you can feel this that sometimes even like on a small level, a person can feel like they they've done what they've can to build their relationship on the behavior level, and now something seems like something is missing. And so that's, a, that's, given where they're at, they've maxed out what they're capable of nefesh, and then moving to ruach. Is it like that, it, but like, the next day? They can fall back again, and people, people like it, it, it depends. It becomes very, very, very individual. Right? There's not, like, a person, that also has to do with the person's skill and natural sensitivity, and, you know, life circumstances play a role in that. And, yeah, people... And that 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 level of, of, of having this rich inner life that really he can't measure by their behavior or even by their motivations for behavior, that's what Ruach is. It's very different. Yeah. Yeah. That's the general rule. Yeah, because each of these is a whole rich world. It's not just like what... There's a focal point, but it's the whole person involving everything in their life. It's not... You know, so what's missing on one level is not always so obvious, so easy to figure out. Okay. By the way, just to fill out, do you know why Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, um, going just to tie him from the back, Rebbe Levi who's known for being the great defender of the Jewish people, you know this? Like, you always see them as positive. Do you know why he always saw them as positive? Every Jew is positive. What level, like I described, what level was he really living? Where was his, where was his psyche focused on? On the emotional experience of things, on that intensity, what's driving you, yeah? Okay. So when Levi Yitzhak saw somebody sinning, what did he see? The intensity. The intensity, and he saw where that intensity was originally or originating from, and in the positive light, and so everything was always positive, right? That like that story I said about that the 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 buffer was like quite disturbing, because because he he lived on that level of 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 not the behavior but the emotion, that was his focal point. So when he saw somebody like like greasing his axles on his wagon with with his Talisman's phone on, so he's in the middle of davening and, and like fixing his wagon. Like modern days, like imagine someone was like changing their tire. So what does he see? He's like, even when a person is at work, they want to be praying. In other words, he saw that there's a, there's there's this on some level a Jew has this desire to connect to God, and that's why he sees the desire. He sees the he sees the 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 emotional drive, even though the person himself isn't aware of it because it's very deep deep in their subconscious. When someone would admit to sinning. This person has such a sense of honesty. He didn't, because he didn't live focused on his relationship was about the behavior. He also didn't see other people that way. That's very different than, than the way we tend to operate. So if you really live on the level of Ruach, you, 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 you see things differently. You relate to things, you relate to yourself, you relate to others differently. Everything has a, has a, different, a different tone to it. Okay? By the way, that also limits you because that means that you can't 
like you, you, you don't necessarily see the problems that a person has on a lower level. You know, if that person like maybe wanted some help as to how to like stop being so distracted during davening, that because the addiction doesn't relate to that. He only sees the positive. So this is this is in a strict overall sense, there isn't an absolute hierarchy: good versus evil. One is better than the other. But in terms of the proper growth, there's one, then there's the other. Yeah. So, because, th- because, uh, because those are all, because the halachic level of the mitzvah is the emotion as it motivates behavior, and that alone. Not that I'm going to say that later on. Loving God means that you feel motivated to do what you're supposed to do. Fear of God means you feel the inhibition not to do what you're not supposed to do. That's it. So, intensity is not relevant. Not that I'm going to actually say that. It's like, if you don't feel intensity, okay, so you don't feel intensity. But, okay. um, I just want to add one other point before we move on. I've been focusing on intensity, but intensity is just the, the more obvious aspect of this. There's other elements as well. For instance, how the duration of an emotion, right? You can have very tense emotion, but it fades away very quickly. On the Ruach, a thing, it's not just they want an intense emotion, they want that emotion to have duration. Also integration. You can have a very intense emotion, but it's not, it doesn't fit with the rest of your psyche. It's, it's, like, it's like hanging out there and there's an inner conflict. So, there's a need for all of these things, like intense emotion, duration of emotion, the integration of the emotion. It's, it's, a, it's a whole world. Okay. Um, that's Ruach. Yeah. So there's no way that we can, like, without having completed our, like, behavior, like the Nefesh part, come into the Ruach in a healthy sense? Correct. Correct. So can we spend our whole lives only in Nefesh? Yeah, most people do. But can we have aspects of an unhealthy Ruach within our Nefesh? You could. But it's not. But God's going to not let that happen so, so frequently, hopefully. So if we do, if we like, haven't sorted out our Nefesh, we're, and we can have an intensity, it's not going to have duration or integration. Correct. So remember, we're talking about the souls building up. There's an entirely another thing where Hashem imparts experiences to wake a person up, to draw a person back. That's a whole different thing. Um, and the way Chassidus refers to this is there's an arousal of, of below and arousal of above. What we're talking about is the stuff the person is building through their own growth. Um, so like a person feels this deep calling. That's not their, that's their nefesh being pulled by God. It's not something their nefesh itself has built up. person has a different like amount of nefesh yes yes Hashem decides that yes that's we're going to get to that later but that's not something that so like when people speak about the source of your soul and the root of your soul that's kind of like like if you're if different souls have just different capacities for these things yeah in other words lower souls are going to be more nefesh focused and have smaller amounts of each one of these things and then, yeah, as you move up, the souls are broader and deeper and more going on in them. Okay. I, 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 one, of the reasons, I just wanted, one of the reasons why I wanted to focus on this is there's a lot of stuff that in, in Judaism that is very hard to understand if we project our own, and this is something that's come up before, we project ourselves onto our other people. Okay. If your life is basically dealing with connecting to God through the proper behaviors and bringing your emotions into alignment with that and your knowledge into alignment with that, it is very hard to relate to the struggles, the conflicts, 
and, and even the practices of somebody who that's not what their life is. Their life is on this other plane of Ruach. Um, and I think just as an extension of the basic principle, realizing everybody is different and we experience reality differently, that that's not just between regular people, it's also between, you know, um, that's actually one of the explanations that's given between Yosef and the brothers. Everyone knows the story of Yosef and the brothers? Yosef was sold. Is that the brothers judged Yosef by their own standards. That if, if they would have behaved the way Yosef had behaved, that would have been a sign that they, they were in a very bad spiritual place and they didn't appreciate that. Well, I won't get into the details. And so that's an important thing, I think, just in general to know that people can experience things very, very differently. And so when you hear a story, you hear something, so realize it's not just about the connection through behavior, there can be these other elements as well. Yeah? The both, integrating to a physical life and also different elements of Ruach integrated with each other. In other words, uh, you know, a person can go back and forth through very intense emotions in a way that there's a harmony between them or in a way that it's driving them to, to insanity, right? You know, the, yeah, there's, there's a, b- both elements are true. Um, but for, so if someone's like, let's just say feels an intense connection to God and they like jump into like doing all the things within religion and they have that like intensity and that fire and they're like I'm just going to d- jump right into it within that intensity they create a behavior right so usually what you're describing now is something else called chufa which is not which is which, which is which is which is not about building the sense of connection that's feeling this desire for connection itself that's an entirely different thing and what you'll see is that that kind of intensity always burns itself out Unless you grant this. No, it, it always burns itself out. So you, what you want to do is build something before it burns itself out. The, the analogy I like to use is that if your parent lifts up the child to the monkey bars, the child should grab hold of the monkey bars before the parent drops them. Because the parent, in real life, you're not going to drop your kid. But, but in other words, yeah, there's these arousals that a person is awakened and a person feels inspired and a person feels motivated. That's not anything to do with this per se. That has to do with... That doesn't, that's not to do with this intensity. Where, where, where the person... Uh, <coughs> That's, that's, that, that's, that's Hashem waking up the person and then a person can experience things that have nothing to do with what they've built um, and then they can start building something but that then it will go away one of the one of the things that actually happens to a lot of people as they become religious is they go through a period where they're very intense and inspired and motivated and curious and growing and changing um, and during that time they make changes in their behavior or their practice they start to be Shabbos, kosher, whatever however religious they become. And then, like, at some point that dies away and they become religious. And then, like, 10 years later, they realize that they're basically the same. Like, like on, a, on a deeper personal level, like, all that's really changed is before they didn't keep kosher, now they keep kosher. Before they didn't keep Shabbos, now they keep Shabbos. But, like, somehow, like, all of that growth kind of disappeared. And the reason for that is that a lot of that isn't actually the person building up their own soul. It's actually the parent holding the kid up with the monkey bars. And so it, there's, a, there's, a, there's an idea, the idea of, of building something is a much more, like think about like a person with maturity, like it takes time to, to build something up that really changes you internally. And what builds you up and changes you internally is like learning about it. The books look pretty dusty. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that was not intentional, I'm sorry. <laughs>
I'm very sorry. That was not, I didn't mean to do that. No, but that's... that's to prove a point. No, but yeah, I mean, how do you build that up and how do you manage it? That's, that's a lot of what the book is about. But a lot of, a lot of changes can happen when you are being un- inspired from above. And that's, a, that's very, I mean, look, it's not like, like, you use the examples that, you know, if a person is drowning and the lifeguard jumps in and saves them, right? They, they're able all of a sudden to, quote, swim through very dangerous waters. But the reason is that because they're not actually doing the swimming. And when the lifeguard brings them back to shore, and now, like, all of a sudden they realize they don't really know how to swim. So there is that kind of an element in our lives that sometimes what we experience is really not of our own making at all. It's not our own growth. And when it falls away, some of the patterns of behavior remain. So that's why it's important to, to be aware of that. Maybe you also won't answer this question. Okay. Specifically. Um, I'm wondering, from that perspective, it sounds like someone who is Baal Shuba for the first like 10, 15, 20 years, I don't know, however long, maybe shouldn't date because maybe that person like is, is going to marry a nice Jewish girl or whatever or boy. And then three years later, run out of that. Like I will answer this question. I have a I have a I have a policy, which is I don't think people should get married if they're committed to keeping Shabbos. Sorry? Okay. If you're committed to keeping Shabbos, you should not get married. Elaborate. Okay. What? Can you elaborate? Elaborate. Okay. <laughs> okay. And this is this is okay. There are things that we do because we're committed to. Now, commitment, it's a good word. People like it. They talk about it a lot, and I don't mean to bash it. There is a small problem with commitment, which is commitment, like if we were to visualize commitment as like a physical behavior, what would commitment look like? Like you're holding on tight to something, right? Okay, but if you're holding on tight to something, like how long can you maintain that? Maybe you can maintain it for a long time, but then think about what kind of mental space you need to be in. Okay. Then there are other things that you are not committed to. Um, they're what I like to call normal, your subjective sense of normal. Okay. So I am not committed to keeping Shabbos. I'm, speaking myself. I'm not committed to keeping Shabbos. To me, keeping Shabbos is normal. Like, they're Shabbos. That's the way it is. Like, like it is not, am I going to keep Shabbos? Yes, I'm very committed to Shabbos. Shabbos is more there if I'm going to know. It's like, like that's normal. You're saying it's it's like, yeah, now, now, there, is there a downside to normal? There's a downside to normal is that you're not even always aware of what's normal. It's in the background. It's in the culture, okay? But you can't build on clenched fists, okay? So if a person has a sense that I'm committed to keeping kosher, I'm committed to keeping shots, I'm committed to doing this, I'm committed to doing that, then I would say, wait, so it's no longer you're committed. It's more of a sense of this is normal for me. Right? I don't even feel committed. It's, just, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, it's, it's the way I am. It's my the space in which I live, and then you find someone else who lives in that space, then you can build something. Now, in general, it doesn't take 10 years for that to happen, but yeah, it does take time. And I would say, all things being equal, it's very important that, that a person's sense of, 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 of Torah and mitzvahs, if they want to build a you know, family around Torah and mitzvahs, ideally it should be that it's not something that it's my personal commitment. Because another thing is, you know what you don't pass on to your children? Your personal commitments. You don't. You know what you do pass on to your children? You're normal. normal. Now, they still have the free will to reject that normal, but but that's what you pass on. That that goes into their mind, right? So, yeah, if you want to build a family, there has to be be some sense of joy, at least a common sense of normal. Mm 
And then that's the environment in which you raise your children. You want to find a community in which you have somewhat of shared sense of normal. Yeah. And that takes time. How much time? It's a different story, but yeah. And in that sense, would you say it doesn't matter if it's like if, if it's somebody who's you know still in the like I'm committed to Shabbos phase? Does it matter if they're thinking about dating somebody else who's like in the, I'm committing to Shabbos phase, or if they're dating someone who's like from from birth? You would just say like all parties. All part. I, 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 I look. I mean, all I think it's the the the, the, the norm. I know. I, I look. The, the the normal thing is, is so is, is, is I think it's very important. It's, I think it's very important because when you have that, you have a basis for like dealing with stuff and like working through things or like like I'll give you a practical example. What happens if you lapse? You don't you don't do what you're supposed to do. It's very different if it's so that thing is a sense of normal, or it's your commitment. So if it's your commitment, now you have like a whole crisis. Like I, I broke my commitment. Right? But, uh, so like, you know, like, if it's, if it's normal, it's like, okay, so like something went wrong, but like the underlying facts aren't, aren't, you know, aren't, uh, don't change. So, and in that, th- th- that's something that a person, yeah, but, but what I was talking about is that the, the, Deeper growth beyond that point is not always so easy to do, and it's not always so obvious. A person can think it's happening because they're very inspired, but hopefully, at the end of that, there's at least the, the sense of normal because that's something you can build on. That's something that's solid. I think that's a lot, by the way, people are looking for the values of a person because values are not always something that you necessarily always successful in doing, and it's not even something you're always really always consciously aware of and articulate, but. You really do value them because when you see it, you're drawn to it, and when you see it not happening to yourself, you feel like there's something wrong and it should be corrected. So it's Are a sense of normal. The normal I think there's a deeper kind of value that goes into the normal. So that's you know, my sense mm-hmm. of it. Of course, I could all be wrong. But that's... Yeah. My, my sense is that intense feelings of anger are a combination of the animal soul and nefesh. And I'll explain to you what I mean. The sense that God ought to behave properly, and so you feel like there is room to complain against God, like God ought to be held to a certain standard, um, and that that is so powerful, absolute. That can definitely be coming from the the, 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 the nefesh, right? Because it's like the sense. Like if I'm behaving properly, you should behave properly. Like there's this. Not even I am. If I should behave properly, obviously you should behave properly. There's the sense of like there's a there's a. But the, the, there's a certain level of arrogance to be angry at God because you fail to realize that God is not a being on your level, and and so there's so it's like almost if you're angry with God, it's a combination of this deep belief that God is good with a complete ignorance of what God is comes together. Because if you really appreciate what God is, you couldn't be angry at him. Because God is the generator of reality and beyond our understanding above all those kinds of things. But at the same time, if God is completely abstract, then you wouldn't be angry at God either. So it's kind of like you have to have like the sense of God coming from your nefesh, and I think it's more than nefesh, and then this, this blindness and, and, and pain in the animals will come together, and I think in my mind, that's probably what causes the anger. That's 
I haven't seen this explicitly, but that's how I understand it. Yeah. Wouldn't that, that feels like a healthy stage of development in your relationship with God, in a sense. And I'm thinking of how kids relate to parents, and like young kids see their parent as this like ultimate good with no personal life or, right. or motives or anything, right? And so when a parent says like, I'm sorry, I'm tired, I know I said I would take you to the park, but I can't. Children have this like absolute outrage because it's like you're not even an entity, you are like a thing yeah. of goodness, right? And then and then kids yeah. mature through that, but it's not an unhealthy... I didn't say it was. Right? That's, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah, I just think it's, I think it indicates a lack of awareness of God right. simultaneously. It's immature, but it's, immature. It's, not, yeah, yeah. it's not an unhealthy stage for people to go through. No. No. Okay. So that's Ruach. What we have left is Nishama, yeah? Okay, I'm going to do Nishama very quickly. We're not going to spend a lot of time on Nishama. Okay? What is the highest form of connection you can experience? So I will share another personal experience I had. This one is not traumatic. When I was in fifth or sixth grade, a teacher asked a question and someone raised their hand and they were called on and they proceeded to answer the question and what came out of their mouth made no sense. And as they were speaking, halfway through their speaking, they started to falter because they started to realize what they were saying made no sense. And this really, I found this confusing because like, they raised their hand. They clearly had something in mind. So clearly when they raised their hand, they thought it made sense, like what changed? And then the light bulb went off in my head that in your own mind, you always make sense to yourself. Now, I do not mean you always understand everything. That is not what I mean. Okay? But you know that level when someone's talking and you just don't get what they're trying to say? That doesn't happen to you in your own head unless something's really, really wrong. Okay? In other words, you, know, you ever been at a loss for words? Yeah, when you're at a loss for words because you know what it's spoke, you know the you know the meaning, but there isn't a word for it, and so like in your own head, that's not a problem. Now, is there a level of greater awareness and clarity that can person for sure? That's not what I'm saying, but the level of complete miscommunication. Now, what's interesting is that things can make sense in your own head because you're operating on some like uniquely subjective individualized sense of reality and the minute you start talking you enter the share reality of everyone else what made sense in your own head makes no sense outside your own head and you start to hear what you're saying and it loses its coherence okay which means the deepest the deepest kind of feeling of connected is not to someone else but to your own sense of reality so how could you be more connected to someone else is if you have a shared sense of reality. If the way I perceive reality and the way you perceive reality match up perfectly, that would be a very profound sense of connection. Is that common? It is possible. It, okay, so instead of thinking of it as black and white of saying it's either all or nothing, the question is, can you have more of it or less of it? We all have some of it. Well, okay, so, so the thing is, think of, this on a, think of this on a spectrum, okay? So, for instance, 
all of us have a sense that this is a table and we all have a sense of what it's for. We all have a sense it's a chair, right? If, we, if we're going to start very banal, this is very... Uh, now, but because, because we're dealing with, with our perception of reality on a very banal level, it doesn't create a deep feeling of connectivity. Yeah. But what happens if you spent a lot of time coming to a sense of like deep metaphysical truths about reality, ultimate right, ultimate wrong, ultimate purpose, and you encountered somebody who could finish your sentences, they completed your thoughts, you were on the same wavelength with them on that level. Or you, or you conversed and dialogued and debated till you got to that place. Then how would you feel? That other person. Right. It's a very di- now that's a very different kind of connection. It doesn't have the intensity of emotion. In fact, from this level, the intensity of emotion is a kind of disconnect because why do you feel so intense? There's like, there's you, there's them. This is, this is a kind of a unifying of the mind. So the, this is what neshama is. Neshama is about, do you perceive reality the way God perceives reality? Do you know what's real the way God knows what's real? Are you and God on the same wavelength fundamentally? And this, this is, this is, you know, I'll give you throw, throw out something just very quickly and we'll, we'll end on this. Everyone here of the question about how, how we can have free will if God controls the universe? You've heard this question before? Okay. Why do you want to know the answer? Why do you want to know the answer? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you want to know the answer. Why do you want to know the answer? Like, I'm sure everybody, if I told them I have the answer to this, I'm going to give it to you, you would say, yes, I want to hear the answer. Okay, so why? Why do you want to hear the answer? Okay, so can I generalize what you're saying? That is that we, we feel uncomfortable with, 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 dis- with cognitive distance where we hold two ideas and we don't say how they fit together. Right? So I want to believe that God controls the world. I want to believe I have free will. I would like to know those fit together so I don't have to suffer cognitive dissonance. Okay, so you want a painkiller, basically. Like it's uncomfortable to have cognitive dissonance. Well, you want to solve cognitive dissonance. To understand it. Yep. Right, but essentially the motivation is to get rid of the pain. And then this would be the best way to actually resolve the dissidents. Okay. Okay. But there are other ways of doing it. And you know why I'm pretty sure that's most people's motivation? Is another way of dealing with cognitive dissonance is to ignore it. And another way is to have something that you can just band-aid over it. So for instance, people generally and fall into one of two categories. Either they have some sort of like quick, like pithy way of resolving this problem. People who care about this problem. Quick way of or they don't think about it. Because actually fully understanding the resolution is hard, and if what really bothers me is the cognitive dissonance, I actually solve that problem easier. Now, if you give me the solution, I'm willing to take it, but, if my real, but it's not that I care about the solution per se, I just don't like the sense of tension, so if I can get rid of that somehow. Another thing could just be generic curiosity. Another thing is that you teach theology for a living, so you might want to know that because you have like... Another th- yeah, there's any number of reasons. Very few people are like... God doesn't suffer from this problem. So if I suffer from this problem, that means God and I are not on the same page and I feel estranged from God. That's a very odd thing for a person to feel, right? God does not suffer from the problem of how does free will and God running the universe fit together, right? So if I have this problem and he doesn't have this problem, then we're not operating on the same wavelength and now I feel alienated from him. That would be a person who's on the level of neshama. Where the fact that God 
the way reality is from God's point of view isn't my point of view makes me feel estranged from God, alienated from God, distant from God. And no amount of behavior or intense feeling is going to solve that problem. That's a very different level of connection. That's called Nisham. Now, the danger with that just very simply is is that, is that God has to be so vividly real for you for that to be. Otherwise, you just... You know, There's so way more things that divide us from that are different between us and God that such are similar. As, such as? I don't know. I just feel like so many things. Yeah, but there's People one. People who on, on the level of Neshama must have the most frustrating existence. Yeah. The Rambam, who was on the level of Neshama, said there's only two things that give him solace. The Rambam says his life is just. The Rambam says life, the world's a wonderful place, but there's, there's only two things that give him solace. The only two things that make him feel good about life. And by the way, the Ram was another person who complained about things, but he wrote in a letter, he just said, like, like, there's only two things that give him a good feeling. One is true wisdom, and the other is his son. That's it. No amount of intense experience or behavior, like, like there's a point where, where these things, these are, these are ways that two separate beings, like the, 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 the neshama person looks at the ruach and the nefesh, say, this is the way of beings who are separate, who are not on the same wavelength, compensate for their distance by getting along with each other, by having intense feelings for each other. No, no, no. But that means you're not on the same wavelength. That means you're each in your own little bubbles. And the neshama is like, it can't be that something is true from God's perspective and it's not true in my perspective. And that, that irks them to no end. And they, their whole life and everything they do and everything is driven towards aligning their perception of reality so that with, with God's so that they can feel connected to God. So it's the same thing that there's a that there's a there's a hierarchy there's a hierarchy to this. It's the same dynamic that we said. Some people see the world. No, no, no. That that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing. Because God, because God is infinite, the neshama one never ends. You can always know. You can always God, and you have. You can be. Now, I just want to say one thing. Everybody has all three of these in some tiny measure, and they're somewhat integrated with each other, but there is a hierarchical relationship what between them. What about connection with somebody else? Like, it's the same thing. So I'm saying, does it, is it instant? Like, is it just two people have a very similar way of looking at reality? No, it's a or value. It's a, it's, a different way, it's a different way of valuing the person. The person who has level shown doesn't mean they do understand God that way. It means that's what they're trying to do, get to. So some, some people, they, they feel... Like, is it instant connection, or is it connection that... It, it's built, it's built, it's built. Yeah, but that's usually because you're not, that's usually because of one of two things. Either you're not going too deep, or it happens to be you've both grown in very parallel tracks independently, and so you kind of meet at the apex. So if you don't think that it's like some sort of like soul level, like when you meet your best friend and you're just like... Oh, that could be, but that's not this. That level of just clicking in chemistry can exist on any level. On Nefesh Rosh Hashanah. Some people just find an easier time to get along behaviorally. Like, I know yeah. yet. So that, that, that chemistry dimension is like a totally different thing. What? Oh, that's what I want to get to. This is the point at which you actually kind of lose a distinct sense of self. Because like, in Neshama, where exactly do you end and they begin if you have the same mind, if you have the same perspective? You're, yeah. I will tell you one thing about you. There was a, uh, a rabbi named Arya Levine who lived 
in uh, Yerushalayim and he went with his wife to the doctor and the doctor says, why are you here? And he said, my wife's leg is hurting us. Huh. How did he get to that level? How did Rabbi Ari get to that level? I'll tell you another story of Ari Levine. Um, what was his name? Rabbi Ari Levine. He, he, there was, people who were not religious used to deeply respect him. And there was a guy who stopped being religious and he stopped wearing a yarmulke and he started avoiding him in the street because he didn't want to offend him. And eventually, Rabbi Levine bumps in the street and says, like, why are you... Are you, are, are, did I hurt you? Did I offend you? I, I'm not, I, you know, he says, no, no, I, I just, I, I'm not religious anymore. I don't want you to be hurt. You know, I don't wear a yarmulke anymore. And so Ari Levine says, I'm very short. I only see people's hearts. Oh. It's like, the, okay. Now, it's cute, right? But the thing is, like, it, to actually be that way, to be on the level of So just one other story about him. He went, there was a, there was a Jew. This was back when the British ruled Eretz Israel. There was a Jew who was arrested, not for terrorism, he used to go visit terrorists also, but there was a Jew who was arrested for murdering a family member. Got into a fight and he killed the person, which is like pretty horrific. And the person was obviously very depressed and he's sitting in this jail cell and Ireland is visiting all the prisoners and he's a prisoner. And um, what are you supposed to tell a person like that? So Ireland said to him, And that is not a direct quote. That God still has you. So God still has use for purpose for you. You don't tell us it wasn't so bad. It was pretty bad. Say God thinks you're wonderful. I don't know if God thinks you're wonderful. But what's the person ultimately? What's the what's the what's the what's what are they missing in the perspective? Is that their sense is like there's no point in my existence anymore? Saying no, there is point in your existence. I don't know what the point is. But that sense of trying to really meet every single person where they're in the depth of where, where their mind actually is and to connect to that to God and try and bring that together that's a very that's a, that's a very different kind of it's not about the intensity of experience it's not about behavior it's about it's not okay that I have my bubble and you have your bubble even if we get along so you can Someone whose level of Nisham is very broad and very depth will be able to re- find a way of resonating with everybody and will constantly be striving to know God more and more as they know he knows themselves. And the fact that they're, they're pious and they're having intense experiences, that doesn't mean anything to them. And yeah, on a certain level, the idea of an individual self kind of starts to get lost because like, you're, you're one with everybody in some kind of interesting way. I have to go. I'm already Thank running late. Okay. Is it that you can't present yourself or that you may? You do. You do. You do. You do. It's not that it's er- it's not like it's er- it's not erased. It's just, it becomes it goes there's there's a, there becomes a new joint kind of self. Like he says, our wife's my wife's leg is hurting us. It's not me, it's not her, it's an a unified kind of self. Is this the level that the Ravens bothered that you couldn't figure out on the ship? Is that a minute? Me? Yes. Yes. I love the